make sure that uh, that program doesn't contain controversial subjects and uh, you're not impolite to people. No, definitely not, Dad. You know me. I'm never, <laughs> ever controversial or yeah, impolite. Yeah, yeah, okay. Welcome to Conversations with your lovable, never pisses anyone off, never been banned from Facebook or YouTube, never been sabotaged or censored for politely expressing a difference of opinion, ex-Muslim host Ina, keeping it non-controversial. Welcome to the very first Polite Conversations panel discussion, Haramadan edition. With me today, I have got not one, but two amazing guests, Ali Rizvi and Faisal Al-Mutar. Hello, guys. Hey. Hey, hello. How are you? I am well. Thank you so much for joining me today. Before the lovely holy month of Ramadan comes to a close, we should uh, haram it up a bit. I asked you guys to bring something haram to this conversation. Ali, you said you have something pepperoni on the way. Yeah, according to the, um, there's a, if you look at the Syro-Aramaic uh, roots of uh, the verse in Surah Al-Maidah where it says that uh, swine flesh is a sin, um, the Syro-Aramaic roots for the Arabic word for swine flesh, I was going to say Seinfeld, uh, but actually mean dog. So what's banned is actually dog. Pepperoni's okay. That's, uh, yeah, according to some recent um, exegetes who've been looking at, at the scripture. So that, that whole thing has changed. Remember how beat your wife became make love to your wife? Of course, the same yeah. Way. <laughs> Tickle her with a feather, give her a cuddle. Yeah, that kind of thing. So now uh, now uh, the pepperoni is actually, the whole swine flesh thing isn't, isn't so bad. There was a scholar who needed a porcine tr- uh, for a heart valve needed a pig valve so since then for some reason he got some sort of insight <laughs> retrospectively that uh, you know he decided that it was all good so uh, I decided to go with him right Allah just came down and told him now that you need a pig's help uh, pigs are no longer haram yeah exactly it's amazing how that works yeah I know I, I, I should also mention that there is there's a lot of hostility towards pigs, but if you just look at generally an Abrahamic religion, Abraham has ham in it, Muhammad has ham in it, and uh, Jesus, spelled backwards, is sausage, which sounds a lot like sausage. It's probably the Latin roots of sausage. <laughs> You've really but thought this through, huh? I, uh, these are the things. This is what I, this is what I do. That's what I do. <laughs> this is what you do. Try to find <laughs> ham in different words. <laughs> I know. It's and a very I, useful function, and someone must perform it. Right, but right. Faisal, you have disappointed us by bringing nothing haram to the table today. Yeah, I have. I have. I'm the opposite. I have zamzam water. Yeah, you brought something halal. <laughs> Fail already. <laughs> no, I'm trying to balance it out. Okay, sure. Yeah, yeah. So, three ex-Muslims get together for a conversation. So, uh, so it's, uh, let's start with this whole ex-Muslim That's terminology. That's exactly what I wanted to ask. Oh, did you? Yeah. Wow. 
I'll let Fessel go first because he's that, got an answer for this. That's a very smart way of starting it. Um, <laughs> so with ex-Muslim, I mean, um, I personally do not identify as one because I think that... So I've to, heard. Yeah, to, to be an ex-Muslim, you actually have to uh, believe in the religion for a long period of time and then leave it at least by adulthood. And I think... I grew up. I mean, I I did the salat and the the the, the uh, prayers and stuff. Sorry, the salat is the prayer. So I'm being I'm being very racist You're here. You're being very Muslim. Yeah. Um. And, but I, I left. Like I grew up in a liberal household, and like I was taught to think for myself. And then I just decided to live religion before I reached adulthood. That's number one. Number two, I don't really think that the term is. Uh, doesn't say anything about the person um so like well except the fact that they have left islam so somebody which is pretty uh, magnificent in itself to some extent uh i mean it all depends on which which values you think are the most important i mean somebody can be left islam and join a christianity and yeah or, that's not pretty or, great that's not very great yeah. at all so like i always compared from switching to like uh, cocaine to to meth yeah or the opposite um <laughs> uh, but um that or somebody can be a communist which I don't think is also a very good ideology so I don't think it's really descriptive of the person I, I always try to define myself of what I am and uh, and what I'm other than what I'm not I mean the same can be said about the term atheist uh, Sam Harris made yeah. an argument before about that we don't refer of ourselves as non-soldiers or non um, I think there is a political need sometimes to use the term I mean I sometimes use it uh, when when I'm actually surrounded by Muslims and I say I'm an ex-Muslim just to piss them off. Right, well, if there's actually, a taboo with it. Then yeah, yeah, because there is the taboo with it and also it just means that I'm not part of the belief system or the doctrine that they subscribe to, even though I have probably one of the most Arabic names ever. Mm -hmm. um, and so I generally ask the questions like, oh, Faisal, you are a Muslim? Like, okay, no, I'm not. And I, so they, so I always try to tell them that I'm sort of left that uh, religion, but uh, yeah, so that's that's the way I see it. Yeah, I I kind of think uh, I I don't know I, I feel like a lot of these labels are all of them are um, you know they they partly encompass things depending on how you define them and they partly don't. And I I just don't think anything encompasses everything. I mean the the title of my book, which is the atheist Muslim, actually is a bit of a tongue in cheek hit on that mm -hmm. and how uh, you know how narrow a lot of these labels are. So like you know what Fessel said, he quoted Sam Harris on the uh, the atheist mm -hmm. the word atheist so just take that I mean some people think that it uh, it means a lack of belief in a god or a god but on the other hand theism is a belief in a personal god a god that intervenes whereas deism is a belief in a god that doesn't intervene so atheism would technically mean a lack of belief in a personal god which would make Buddhists some Hindus deists and all of them atheists as well so you know well some Hindus do claim that their religion is very compatible with atheism but their um, religio apologism is pretty terrible still my point is that uh, you know all of this uh, sort of uh, the the semantics of uh, these labels uh, to me I'm not 
crazy about them. Uh-huh. I do embrace parts of, um, like, if you define Muslim as a birth identity, you know, like, like Fareed Zakaria wrote, he's like, well, I'm kind of like a secular agnostic, but I identify as a Muslim. Uh-huh. Like, this is my birth identity. If you do that, in that case, I would be in the, only in that sense. I'd be considered Muslim. Um, if you define, uh, and the same thing goes for all these other labels. So I've, I do embrace the term ex-Muslim, but for the longest time I. I didn't for the same reasons Fessel is saying, uh-huh. but um, I do think that overall, for just for communication purposes and for understanding, it's one of those terms that uh, you know, like you don't need the term non-racist. You know, there's people who are, there's ordinary people, and then there's people who are racist. Right, but then it becomes necessary when there's a taboo attached to being non-racist. If eighty percent of people in the world were racist, then non-racist would become a necessary word. That's the right, idea. and if they, especially if they killed you for being non-racist. Uh, yeah. There you go. I want to add a point uh, about, uh, I think the term is called the oppression identity. So, like, the there's about about Jews, like, uh, many secular Jews, they will say, well, I don't believe in Judaism, but the Nazis think we're all the same. Yeah. I've you know? seen that with my Shia friends in uh, Pakistan as well. They are completely godless, completely a-religious, but because they live in Pakistan, they have a very Shia identity. They go to the, um, what's it called? The Muslims. And, yeah. So so they, they couldn't care less about religion, but it's being that minority that you kind, that kind of ties you in with that identity. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, I, so, sorry, go ahead, Fazal. No, 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 you go first. No, I, I was saying that, that that's actually, I, I would probably be in that category like there's a lot of things i um like it's uh i don't know fessel you're from a shia background right i not i don't know if you are no. not. you're not so what we have is every year we have these sort of things that are supposed to be for mourning for 10 year uh, 10 days uh the muharram Mm-hmm. It's fascinated me always, but I've always kind of been shielded from it. Yeah, but it, it really is uh, every night, like people get together, families get together, everybody's dressed in black, but you have food and you have tea. And the the stuff that you, when you do the self-flagellation thing, in most cases, just a beating of the chest with a musical... Sounds crazy, no offense, but... No, no, it is. It is. The, the principle of it's pretty crazy. But what we did as kids is uh, those things are melodic. So that's where I learned how to sing. Uh-huh. Um, that's where we learned our sense of rhythm it's like you know how kids go to church choirs yeah so, absolutely so we grew up i i still occasionally like i actually love those they're called nahas in uh, urdu mm-hmm. i don't know what they're called in uh, arabic Fessel, you had a there was a term. yeah I, I mean, yeah, Noah. It's kind of close. Yeah, close, I think yeah. Noah or not Maya is the, is the one when they beat their their chest. But yeah, and 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 Fessel and I have we've actually exchanged like Arabic ones and Urdu ones. We sent each other YouTube because we still have an appreciation for that as music. You know? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I can understand the appeal of certain parts of the culture and the music. Yeah. Totally. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there is an element of uh, you know when you when you talk about. Uh, identity. I mean, my, a lot of my childhood associations, for instance, like I was never forced to fast, but the part of Ramadan that I do remember is everybody getting together, families getting together and having big, these big feasts and exactly. watching movies. So I, you know, for me, 
Eid, Ramadan, it's like Christmas and Easter. I mean, these are things that I I like, and I don't I don't want to give them up. I like participating in them. Yeah, uh, no, I love it. My goal is to create, um, you know, for whatever kids come in my family, is like a secular version of these things where we can take the good things. And I wrote a children's book about Eid and how there's a different spectrum of Muslims, and it's okay if you pray, and it's okay if, I, if you don't pray. And nobody really, <laughs> nobody liked it. The anti-Muslims didn't like it because it was not um, uh, showing Muslims in a bad light. And then the Muslims didn't like it because it says, hey, you can have a picnic if you don't want to pray instead or whatever. That's because they're still obsessed with labels. Just like there are some Muslims who go around saying, okay, if you don't do this, you're not a Muslim. There's a lot of, you know, atheists saying, well, if you celebrate Ramadan, then you're not really an atheist. Mm -hmm, Exactly, but while they celebrate Christmas. Right, so all these labels are, I mean, I I don't know, I, 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 there was a, the Sam Harris's podcast with Neil deGrasse Tyson was kind of interesting. That one, yeah. Yeah, they talked about this, about the labels and how yeah, kind about of how he doesn't there. identify as atheist. And I did feel Neil was a bit non-committal, like he's not, he doesn't want to rock the boat. It seems on something. Uh, uh, yeah, he's a little, uh, he's holding back. Um, but, I mean, that's that's the reason I titled. It's one of the huge reasons I titled my book what I did. It's, yeah, I think it's, it's important. I also think that the people who try to shove these uh, labels on other people are not doing the right thing so it's yeah. like a personal decision I mean I identify as ex-Muslim I think much like Faisal I was raised in a very liberal family never forced to do anything and I left religion very early I think maybe like 17 or 18 I was like oh, this shit does not make sense I may have believed in a higher power but I said to my parents very clearly I'm not a Muslim I didn't know that I didn't think of the term ex-Muslim but I was like I'm nothing no religion yeah. so that's what I went by when I became a bit older I came across an ex-Muslim community. I'm like, hey, I saw the value in the term because um, I think it is a very political decision to identify as X something that won't let you identify as X that. So yeah. in the face of that, I think it's important yeah, for me. Yeah, man, I, I, I think like, yeah, the term can be applicable. I mean, the same, uh, so uh, the president... His name is David Silverman, and he was yeah. talking about the need for like everybody who does not believe in God to call themselves atheist, at least on on paper, other than saying they're a humanist or a freethinker. And his re- his main reason was, I think, political. Is that when they do the research and stuff, and and other than five percent of humanists, five percent of freethinkers, uh, yeah. but rather like thirty percent atheists, then the political uh, parties would, th- would see us as a voting. A block. Like, I get that too, but I don't so, think forcing it upon people is right. No, no, I, I don't think I don't think we should force. I mean, I, I don't think I'm member of ISIS, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but I think that the term can be like all these terms. I mean, now like when I'm living in the West and mostly like in a very diverse cities and stuff, I don't really like call myself an atheist that much. Like people know that I'm non-religious and stuff, but I'm not like atheism and stuff because everybody around me is mostly non-religious. Yeah, there's so, no need for it. I guess. So it, yeah. the, but yeah, when I'm surrounded by conservatives, or conservative religious people, I generally feel the need to identify mm-hmm. as. So I, th- I think it all depends on the context or how people view you within that certain conversation. I, th- I think when it comes to oppression dynamics, I um, mean, when it comes to white supremacist or 
etc. I think they think that many of us are the same. Like yeah. Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi and Faisal al-Baghdadi are the same people. <laughs> exactly. Exactly they do. They Just like Islamists don't think all you know Westerners are the same. I think the, the, the defining thing for bigots of any kind is that they forget, the, they don't see the humanity of people. Yeah, they, I, yes. Well, I was going to add, I actually do like uh, the term anti-theist. Like, I think that that makes... Oh, I don't like it at all. But go on. No? No. No, because um, I I think that, you know, rather than saying... Thing. If you say, you know, you're non-racist versus you say you're opposed to racism, you know, I think that that makes, um, it brings people together a lot more. Like, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll give you an example, is that if you oppose, um, you know, uh, male domination or patriarchy or what have you, like, if you, if you oppose it, right, then you just believe in equal rights for women. So if that's, if you're in opposition to that, then you're all kind of on the same page because you all oppose the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you do identify as somebody who's a feminist, which is fine, mm-hmm. that's not an issue. But if you do, if you do identify as that, there's a lot of fragmentation, you know, within that word, because then you're not standing against something that you're opposed to. You're not just doing that, but you're actually for something. You know, there's a whole thing that's associated with it. And I've noticed that with atheism. Right? A lot of people are kind of associating atheism with liberal values or atheism with um, in values or you know, they've actually started um, sort of it's become fragmented and everybody oh, definitely. The split of has what become... atheism means and to me it always meant like I, I think that the, the main thing with atheism, for me what it is is it's an opposition to dogma it's an opposition to irrationality uh, and everything that's pretty much um, encompassed by religion and, and belief in things without evidence and if you I, I can say that I'm opposed to that in, in general but when people tell me oh, you're an atheist you should be thinking this or you shouldn't mm-hmm. if star parties or you know that if you're going to drop this you need to drop everything you know, I get what you're saying right you, yeah. you, you know what I mean so I that's know what you mean reason. but I'll tell you why I dislike the term anti-theist mm-hmm. if it was anti-theism I, oh, that's I'd what like I it better. I know what I know that that's what most anti anti theists mean. But for someone that's not in the know, that's not really familiar with these terms, it is really literally just anti theist, right? So they won't understand that means that you're against theism and the beliefs. And are you so. are you hate God? Uh, <laughs> You're just angry at God. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think I mean I I agree with Ali in terms of the anti theism. I mean, I think that. In that sense, I mean, I mean uh, odd, but yeah, go on. Fessel. Yeah, um, is that nothing unites better than hate? And uh, I can speak as somebody who lived in a civil war. Um, and that, that, I mean, if you look at this atheist movement that exists in the United States, what they are mostly about is that they are anti-theists who, like the person who goes on a buy a ticket or a flight, uh, fly from uh, Omaha to to let's say Utah to attend the conference, the most reason he's going for, first of all, to look for a community of being surrounded by people who share the same lack of belief and also because they share the same enemy. So like, oh, you hate uh, uh, theocrats? Oh, I hate theocrats as well. 
or theocracy, let's say. Uh, so I, th- I think the uniting factor anti-theism is much more uniting than atheism, in my opinion. Right, and uh, I like the. Oh, but I, then I, it brings know. out some really nasty people who identify as anti-theist, and they take the anti-theist, not theism, very literally, and they are pretty just against anyone that could possibly believe in religion. Yeah, but but wouldn't that be this every, the case for everything? No, like the anti-racism, no, the anti-racism folks. But I people, am against anyone that believes in racism. So I am anti-racist. People I, don't, who are called, I don't have a need to make a distinction between the racist people and the racist ideology. I'm fine opposing the lot of it. You, you understand what I'm saying? I don't view theism as something as bad as racism. I think that it is in our interest to work with theists and coexist with them and, you know, anti-theist just seems very confrontational. And I, you know, here's the thing, there's a, um, this goes back to the whole uh, labels issue right like the um and the thing is like these these words have a definition and in in my book you know when i wrote i have a chapter called choosing atheism Mm -hmm. and and it starts with the line i wrote i'm like for the longest time i didn't like the word atheist for the same reason that i was one me too right so i and that i think encompasses everything in a sense like for instance, like these words have definitions for instance if you're when people talk about feminism anytime i say something about feminism you know i get all of these responses like well you know femin and people don't like it and i just tell them like on feminism this is what i think if you believe in the political social economic equality opportunity equality uh, for for both men and women or uh, all genders then you are a feminist that's what the word means and if you don't believe in that, you're an asshole. But uh, I agree. You know, and that's really it. I mean, then if somebody wants to believe that, you know, that everything is socialized and, you know, there's no biological differences. No. Or if, uh, you know, someone's, even if someone's pro-life or pro-choice, like, all of those things are, they're just not part of the equation for me. I mean, the, the word has a definition. Yeah, I, I have had the same exact argument on Twitter and I have shared the definitions of mm-hmm. feminism. I mean, there's a growing anti-feminist movement and they have a different, a lot of those people have a different meaning of feminism ascribed in their mind. It's more like the social justice. Um, you can't wear a shirt with sexy pinup women, otherwise you're um, deterring women from going into science type of feminism. That is not my idea of feminism. Feminism is simply the belief in equality. So, that's, just like you. Equality and choice. And that's a, and in the same way, the word atheist has a definition. Mm-hmm. And, um, the word anti, you know, theism, I guess, you know, we can say, mm-hmm. has a definition is that you know we you know we're opposed to theism or you know for atheists we don't believe in god so neil degrasse tyson i mean he can he can he doesn't he may not like the word right but he technically um, is one well i mean he is one yeah if he if you atheism means lack of belief in a personal god he doesn't believe in a personal god so he is an atheist einstein exactly the same thing everything he wrote uh essentially yeah you know, what's interesting is that the reason I didn't like the word atheism is because whenever I heard the term atheism, I thought of people who were arrogant, who thought they knew it all, and they're like, yeah, there's no God, how could you believe in it? And they were condescending. Um, that's what I associated atheism with, so I never liked the word. Mm-hmm. And I backed off. I'm like, no, the reason, but, and the, but the reason I was an atheist is because I wanted to be more humble. I wanted to acknowledge that there is 
there's a mystery yes. uh, to things. That there's a lot of things that we don't know. And um, th- but that is what an atheist says. The arrogance is when you know that there's a God and He told you something, and you know He's omnipotent, and you know He's uh, uh, He wrote all these books that are the perfect word and so on. That is the arrogant stuff. You know, to to say that you don't know, which is um, that, that there are a lot of things that we don't know or that we're not going to believe anything mm-hmm. without evidence, that is actually the less arrogant position. So that's when I kind of embrace the term. And Right. Like, I hesitated to embrace it for so long. And then when I did, so- I, lost, I lost some friends, actually. Some friends that I used to mock religion with all yeah. the time. But that was when I was, like, using non-believer. So that was less threatening. When I, mm-hmm. they, when I used atheists, they were like, no, that is a step too far. I'm like, and these are my Western friends in Canada. So for them, it was too, I guess they would be like that kind of left leaning that doesn't like that confrontation and challenge against religion. But the whole thing is, it's Sunnah, like that kind of confrontation, the aggressiveness. I don't care what's Sunnah though. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm trying to tell. Like, I I always tell people, they're like, you know, why are you aggressive? Why do you, I'm like, listen, I'm not walking into your mosques and smashing everything there with a stick. Yeah, the idols. That's what Muhammad did. I mean, he walked in, he smashed those idols. I mean, he he was chased out of Mecca because uh, people didn't like what he he was saying they didn't like it and he was very aggressive in the way he talked and then after that he out and out you know he fought he became a warrior all, all the things he did I mean when it comes to blasphemy when it comes to apostasy when it comes to like vandalism actually in, in pursuit of your so he's a bit of an inspiration uh, I just <laughs> listen I, it's just whenever I, I have never ever had anybody I, whenever I've told people who have told me and said you know why are you so aggressive and I respond by giving the example of Muhammad and I outline all the things he did they never have a response I'm like oh, oh. so I yeah I, I I use that I think it's awesome. uh, I love it yeah, yeah, but just that, I mean, I mean, here, uh, like in the States, I think probably the same goes with Western Europe. The same term atheist has been a lot associated with the term communist during the Cold yeah. War. Yeah. So, so that's, so like the Cold War has been kind of defined by the Christian capitalism versus the atheist communism. So the term atheist has become sort of very negative because it has been associated with uh, with like the Soviet Union and, and the Vietnam War and all of these things. So, and I, I think we can we can reclaim the term atheism and make it great again. Atheism great again. I you know atheists are you know I assume some of them are good people. <laughs> yes, yes, some of them. Some they they of them bring are right. they bring crime. They're rapists, but I assume but some of them some are good people. people. But you know I think Fessel like he brings up a really good point. Like this this is another thing um, that I've talked about before is the word is secularism. The the association that we have with certain words is very different. Now, when you go to different parts of the world, for instance, in in the Middle East, for instance, the a lot of the dictators, really cruel dictators, were secular. They were fiercely secular. Mm-hmm. Um, and that secularism was imposed on people with Kamal Atatürk, I mean, who mm-hmm. pretty much put the nail in the coffin of the last great Muslim empire, which was the Ottoman Empire. Um, and he, you know, he, he changed uh, the, the Turkish script 
to, yeah. Latin, to the Latin script, and then he didn't he like shave people's beards forcefully. Oh yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, he t- took off the veil. He changed the language of the uh, the adhan, the the call to prayer, which was in Arabic. He changed it and he made a Turkish version of it. So uh, it, it was. Um, that's the kind of association people have with secularism. It's not just you know the colonialism and imperialism. It's their own secular dictators uh, who enforced it on them, mm-hmm. right? It's uh, it's so so that's why a lot of times when you see these governments fall, um, like Mubarak falls, a Muslim Brotherhood comes up. You know the uh, the Shah fell in Iran and Khomeini came up in Syria. You know if Assad falls, if he's like getting weakened, you have most of the people at the forefront are the Islamist parties. I mean these. Are, uh, these are the only uh, the only organized opposition to these dictators are these sort of religious movements because they feel that they have been oppressed by secularism. So, so these all of these terms. You know, like what, what he's saying, what Fessel was saying about communism, uh, that's another thing. The in God we trust that showed up on on money or on mm-hmm. coins, or I think it was the God line in the Pledge of Allegiance, one or the other actually was in response to the Soviet Union and the idea that there were atheist, godless communists, and we're different. Um, so and these things were added very recently. I think one of one of them, I, I can't remember which one it was, whether it was in God we trust on the money or uh, the Pledge of Allegiance that was added actually added in the 1950s the mid 20th century so um, we have God in our anthem I mean yeah, we, so, we so. haven't gotten rid of God we also have a blasphemy law on the books in Canada apparently mm-hmm. Let's wait for for uh, for the Islamists to take over Canada. <laughs> <Can> you... <laughs> you know, there, there is an element of that that's always going to stay, and this is what so you know people like you know why are you saying God like I'll say bless you. If someone sneezes, yeah. like, saying that I'm like you know you're saying goodbye. You know where the word goodbye comes from? Yeah. It comes God be with you. Mm-hmm. And um, Thursday was actually Thor's day, yeah. God Thor. So there's unless we really you know d- d- become very anal about this stuff and start, you know, just uh, getting rid of all these everyday things. Yeah, but that's it's, silly, right? It's like the extreme is, radical yeah. feminists who want to get rid of the E in women and put a Y in and call it yeah. her story and not his that's story. And it's, um, it seems I mean, very silly to me. I mean, until today, I mean, I, I still sometimes I do it in like in a, in a joking manner, but like I still like use use the term inshallah. Me and, too. I use it all the sal- time. Yeah, I do. I do it all. Salam. Yeah, I know. As an Arabic speaker, I mean, the religious language has been ingrained in our language. Like, it's really hard <laughs> to separate the two. Like, it's, right. it's there are so many terminologies in which the mainstream is using a religious term. Yeah. Like, how are you? Alhamdulillah. Like, you say alhamdulillah to yeah. say that you're good. To say it's, you're good, it's yeah. Not, it's not like you are literally thanking, but it's just like it became part of the of the language. And... I mean, resistance is futile. Like to try to change all of these terminologies to. I mean, I, I try to reduce use usage of religious terminology, but it's sometimes it's really actually hard to to do that. Like because yeah, nobody's gonna understand what you're talking about. Yeah, well, I, I think it's fine. Like, it, like I know you you know Urdu, right? So you know the Assalamualaikum. term. Alaikum. We. but Khuda Hafiz. You know Khuda Hafiz. Yes, okay. you know how they've tried to change that though. The era of imperialism. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, oh, the office. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know. I know. Yeah. We're, we're going to hold you responsible. You That's right. It's your fault. No, we you appropriate. I mean, someone appropriated. <laughs> but that, that's the that's I think the um, idea that you know when you, when I say a lot of my relatives now I mean they they know what I do they know the book I'm writing and so on and, and many of them are very supportive but some of them are religious mm-hmm. so it's funny that uh, you know I'm, I'm on the phone with them and when I leave they just say oh okay bye and then I'll say okay Hafiz. yeah and so which means the same thing as goodbye it means God be with you yeah or God protect you and um then you know they sometimes they get taken aback like oh okay i didn't expect you to say that like yeah yeah it's fine like those things are okay Assalamu alaikum. I feel that has been very imposed on me my whole life. Like, Khuda Hafiz, I don't mind. It's very benign sounding. I don't know. It's it's the context of the language. I'm not going to be able to explain why, but the Assalamu alaikum seems very forceful when you enter someone's house. And mm-hmm. it's just a kind of the pressure to say this religious greeting. And I just don't do it. I just say hello or hi. And I'm always given strange looks. You know, you know what's funny is that, is that Assalamu alaikum is actually. Actually, if you don't say the whole thing, it's actually more secular. It just means peace be upon you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless you say assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. Yeah, but you know where it's coming from. Right. You're arapophobic. I'm sorry, but you're arapophobic. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I like shawarmas. What are you talking about? (laughs) No, there's a uh, yeah. I, I I used to wonder actually sometimes like, there's you know when hummus goes bad in your fridge. I'm like, okay, I can't eat this hummus anymore. I can't decide if I'm being uh, Arab phobic or anti-Semitic. <laughs> I just feel guilty. Hummus goes bad, really. Yeah, hummus my goes. Yeah, yeah. Lasts forever. But oh, oh, okay. On <laughs> the fridge, you guys. So maybe I can't tell. I don't know. Maybe maybe I can't tell. I don't know, but. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I want to, like, bring a point. Like, don't you think sometimes that Islam itself can be an ethno-religion versus just a religion? Because, like, it's hard to separate Islam from Arab imperialism or even Arab war. Because, I mean, the prayer, I mean, I actually noticed that very lately. uh, Like, when I was living in Malaysia and I saw, like, many people praying in Arabic. Yeah, everyone prays uh, in Arabic. And Azan was in Arabic, and most of them like don't understand any Arabic. And I was like, God uses Google Translate. Like, why don't you like just pray in your <laughs> that, local vessel, language? That- that is actually the so this is really interesting this is actually really interesting but this is where the reality is that the thing that Fessel lived through and what I lived through is completely different so we look at the biggest Muslim populations in the world which are Indonesia India Pakistan Bangladesh Iran Turkey um, and all of these countries I mean the majority of Muslims live in these countries and I grew up learning Arabic from a Quran teacher being able to recite it read it um, even write it but I didn't understand it. Yeah. I couldn't understand it. And that's the case with the majority of Muslims in the world, which is, and, and I'm actually, you know, when Fezzel said that it, I went to Malaysia and they were all praying in Arabic, um, that that's sort of surprising to him. But for me, and that's all I've seen. We well, all... I asked my parents these questions as a child. Like, why yeah. the hell does God want us to pray to him in a language I don't understand? Doesn't make sense, right? Sometimes right. when you're a kid, you come up with the best questions. I feel like all the questions I asked my parents when I was 
around six are the same questions that I would ask today, you know, and nobody right. had satisfactory answers for me. Like, why is God, uh, you know, got a preference for a certain region, a certain language? Doesn't make sense. You should be able to pray to him in any language I, you I, want. I, I think that Muhammad, like, didn't think it through. Like, he, I don't think he actually <laughs> thought, like, he would go this far. Like, just like Bernie Sanders. I don't think he actually thought. <laughs> I actually didn't think that he it was going to. heard it here, to... folks. Polite conversations. Muhammad and Bernie Sanders comparison. That is... yeah, so, so I don't think he would. He thought that he would go this far. I don't think that he knew. I mean, like one of the first questions I asked my uh, my Islamic teacher in in, uh, in the school, I told him like, why all the animals mentioned in the Quran only exist in that region? Like. There are no mentions of of kangaroos or yeah. pandas or, and he 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 was like, well, the book was written for like people at the time, and like he obviously he just like bullshitted me, like he never gave me a straight answer. Yeah. But but I think I think I mean I don't know if there is a strict law within Islam that says the prayer has to be made. I don't think even Muhammad knew that other people spoke different languages. I I, I mean, probably he knew some Persians or Jews who spoke Hebrew, but like, I don't really think that he thought that Islam would spread that far to different, like, uh, Southeast Asia or some Indian continent in that regard. Um, yeah, so I, th I think it's like the same as Bernie. I think he, he just so didn't this, think it through. This is a good point you make. So then you think, okay, here's my next question. Is Islam a successful religion, do you think, based on what the orthodoxy it commands on people, the level of influence it still has on their lives, and how far it's spread? Oh, incredibly. I would say yes. It's a very, very... I mean, anybody, uh, Donald Trump talks about success, but I, we're bringing all the U.S. presidential. <laughs> I think that's interesting. But, but Islam versus U.S. presidents. In this way, yeah. That, I mean, if you measure success by influence over, uh, over a millennium, right? The, 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 half millennia in, in a sense then uh, and to, to this day it still has a chokehold on the psychologies of you know a billion and a half people worldwide that is and, and I think one of the most successful things that Abrahamic religion has been able to do is that it, it has been able to make its way into people's sense of identity so you know you're you're born a certain way first of all it'll mark you um, because you know your parents are Muslim or Sometimes it'll physically mark you if you're circumcised. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, and so it becomes, it is sort of a birth identity, but the birth identity isn't just like, you know, I'm brown or I'm uh, American or I'm Pakistan. There's a whole ideology associated with it, you know, that, that you have to believe. And if somebody criticizes that ideology, they feel like their identity has been insulted. Absolutely. And so when they protect, and, and we need to realize this. I think when people, um, they, uh, they, they actually go and they try to make rational arguments. Um, I think it's important to understand that people's sense of identity and their protection of their own identity and who they are and what they identify with overall in, in general is something that they're fiercely protective of in an irrational way, right? So that is 
that's something that can't be appealed to in a strictly rational sense unless you make that distinction unless you tell them okay let's let's separate your you know all your childhood memories of ramadan your family and all the good things that you associate with your religion what you call yourself and your name and the language you speak and so on and let's let's separate that and let's really talk about these ideas and i think when that happens uh, people generally are more receptive to it um because you know if, if someone's so hard to get them to switch that off though because any yeah. mention of any critique and they flare up like they immediately get they immediately get triggered the, this is bigotry this is this this is I'm like how it's, is it bigotry i'm from the same background what what are you even talking about like i'm just saying look at this verse in the quran it's ridiculous but you know this is why i'm not a fan of um focusing on the minutiae of uh, you know the whole khudafiz or god be with you bless you or the ramadan thing or yeah, you know yeah. I, that's why I'm not a huge fan. I mean, it's just look but at it's not something I do consciously. You know, it's something that instinctively offends me, and I just I'm like I'm not going to give in to this. No, no. On a personal level, I understand that. But let me give you an example of what happened this weekend with the BET Awards. So you know, um, oh, you watched uh, it? I, I, no, I didn't watch all of it, but I watched the speech of uh, who's now. That someone's guy? gonna call me racist. Let me just clarify: I don't watch any awards. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's, it's Jesse Williams, right? I mean, he did that. He, he made an amazing speech about how, uh, the, you know, there's still uh, racism here. And he was talking about all the, uh, you know, he was talking about all the shootings about Tamir Rice, you know, a 12-year-old kid who was killed by the police uh, for playing in, in a park. Like, he was playing with a toy gun in a yeah, park. Yeah, that was horrific. So, I remember that. So, and it was on video. And so so he was, uh, he was talking about all that. And he made a lot of amazing points. And it was just a very inspiring speech. And uh, Justin Timberlake went online and he just said he's like I'm very inspired by Jesse Williams I, you know, I love what he did um, and he, he just really complimented the speech is that uh, all he did and oh yeah that's all he did and then someone else came up and they said well Justin Timberlake are you now going to stop appropriating our culture and what our music fuck no I, I saw that and right. I'm and like then, what and then, did he possibly do did he like rip off a song sing it exactly what, the same what, what could he have couldn't figure wait, it out uh, but don't tell me it was just over a compliment no no it was so he did that compliment he showed solidarity with what Jesse Williams was saying uh, some guy responded and said that you know you're appropriating our culture and our music so then Justin Timberlake um, he quoted that and he said you know you should realize it's something I'm paraphrasing you should realize that we are all the same he just said we're all the same and suddenly the all of the, the well you know what Twitter's like right so that, they the, just the, sent it on the, the, how the, could you the, say the, we're all the same how you know? dare you say that you so, asshole but racist. the main point the main no, offense industrial complex yeah but the, the main point here is that by focusing on the minutiae they actually taught they, they took somebody who praised the speech where someone was talking about black empowerment mm -hmm. and then someone else praised the speech and he also supports black empowerment um, and they attacked him um, mm -hmm. for because he said what he said and he's clearly not so no. racist yeah so, absolutely when you start focusing on the minutiae and you start talking about you know all of these little extraneous things then you lose the big picture now you know the word racism is just not going to mean it doesn't mean it means silly things now well what yeah. that does is it empowers the, um, the the people who actually are 
racist. I mean, when you when you focus on if you're, for example, I think with Black Lives Matter, you know, they started protesting against Bernie Sanders, who's an ally. Um, yeah, just started I remember getting, that. So you know, when you when you do things like that and you start attacking Justin Timberlake, or in our case, you know, with when people start um, talking to. Uh, atheists from Muslim backgrounds mm-hmm. who still happen to keep some of their traditions or they still have a good relationship with their parents who happen to be religious and they still hold on to some of the traditions and the rituals and you know, just like the, the equivalents of uh, you know Christmas or Easter or any of these holidays um, and they still participate in that culturally uh, and we start saying that you know well what you're doing is you're enabling Muslims um, and you make them the target instead of recognizing them as allies then all of these words like bigotry and racism they become they become meaningless completely meaningless and and uh it only empowers the people they who make really are yeah, I, I mean i mean the, the way i see it I, I see the the far right and the far left uh kind of feed into each other is that and, and especially there's nothing more important than all this talk about extremism and islam and all of that is that when somebody like uh, Bernie or whoever uh, comes in and says Islam is peaceful and everything is all wonderful and, and all of that and then that's going to make Trump say let's ban all Muslims and when Trump says let's ban all Muslims Trump co- Bernie comes in in defense of the statement that he did and so that itself like uh, there's a theory called the horseshoe theory in which yeah they the become fo- the same they ex- exactly become the same is that the authoritarians I mean there's the anti-racist racists uh-huh. uh, the ones who, who claim to oh, be yeah. anti-racist a friend of mine told me I was racist because I didn't like I, I don't like hip hop I just it's nothing to do with race I just don't yeah. I don't actually, like that, certain types of music I, I... that saddens me a lot because as, as you both mentioned is that that these terms no longer mean anything like I literally like I generally like call myself a racist like I, I just joke about it because the term itself has become meaningless well and that so that really is sad because these are important things right like exactly. feminism racism invent a new term we have to causes but then when you make a joke out of them um, like the Black Lives Matter, uh, someone in Toronto from the Black Lives Matter tweeted something about, yeah, Allah give me strength to, um, I forget what it was, not kill these white people or something like that. Uh, it was just sad, like. Yeah, I mean, that this, these extremes obviously, like, have... Uh, uh, ruined these. I mean, even I, I would add the term uh, sexism and, and 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 misogyny and. Well, yeah, because they're so overused. Yeah, Everyone's I, a misogynist. I, I, I mean, I, I was accused. I mean, I don't want to interrupt your conversation, but I was accused of something very interesting. So, so I, I had a conversation with a person who was advocating for banning and Hersey Ali from speaking at oh, Brandeis. About yeah, that back yeah, of the yeah, time. I remember that. Then I, I just like called her a, a troll, or like I said, like you are trolling us. And then she said, you are emotionally rape me. Emotionally oh, rape me. And then she said, emotional rape is as bad as physical rape. Oh. And then she started calling me facial the rapist. And I was like, and I was like, what the fuck does that go out of your mouth? Like, and so like, even a term like, which could be, in my opinion, like it's very hard to redefine, which is rape. But look at how it minimizes the suffering of people. Exactly. So now like racism has became about microaggressions and, uh, 
it's all like triggering, triggering. Like it's 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 like triggering industrial complex. Um, and, and and there, I mean, there is lots of of. Unfortunately, there are like lots of companies that are uh, monetizing on these kinds of stuff. Like, like you can see articles on Salon and BuzzFeed and twenty questions brown people should ask white people. Oh gosh. No, like what? What the fuck does that mean? Like, and, and at the same time, they say, "Well, no, don't generalize on." Uh, right, right, exactly. And, and then they generalize on us, and they generalize on white people, and this kind of, uh, uh, unfortunately, this kind of nonsense, nonsensical approach to these complicated stuff has empowered. I mean, we are seeing the rise of the the anti regressives, regressives. Yes, and they're a very the, troubling the, group, actually. Which are also a very troubling group, and we are seeing the the the, the rise of the far right or, or people insane like Mr. Trump, um, and we are seeing that them getting popular because many people are getting sick and tired of political correctness, and some of that is reasonable, as we are talking about this stuff, and some of it is not. But mm-hmm. but uh, that's why like. We are talking about why am I more critical of the left than the right? Because I, I think that the left is empowering the right to some well, extent. I, I, you and know, also you have expectations from them, right? Like I, I consider it to be uh, a group that I have seen be on the right side of stuff. So I expect them to be on the right side of this as well. But they're not the right. Uh, I don't really have the same expectations. I mean, I assume some of them are good people, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's easy, in my opinion, to push somebody who believes that homosexuals deserve human rights in America to make them believe that in universal. Then I think it's I think it's much harder to convince somebody who's a Christian right to believe in universal human rights than to believe somebody on the left who's yeah values we do. We just believe that it should be extended to the other side, to the other race, or to the other culture. I, uh, I but think I'm, it's a, yeah, go on, sorry. Yeah, but, 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 but just to finish, like, I think it's very unfortunate that that the, the, the left has shifted more on the far left, and, and the center, in my opinion, is being bashed uh, by both sides as being either not liberal enough or not uh, strong enough. Yeah, I, I, it, it, there's this competition, especially I think with uh, that's why I ignore Twitter largely, um, but, but even though it's very entertaining, is it this idea of you know out moralizing? I can be more moral than you. I, I don't think it's a big deal uh, in the, in 2016 to go out and say I don't, I don't think anybody deserves a pat on the back uh, for saying that women should be equal to men or that gays should have rights or that black people should have the same rights as as white people. I I, I just don't. Yeah. Think that's really the, light, the least you can do, right? Right. The, the real heroes of those movements are the people who did it and who picked up those fights when their lives were threatened. Or, you know, the, the first woman who went to work, stepped out of the, outside of the house and everybody called her a whore and, um, you know, people stuck to it because uh, she believed in it on principle. Or... You know, the people who took a stand for, or Rosa Parks who sat on a, I mean, th- that was a very, that was a bold statement to make because it was an opposition to the vast majority of the population. Mm-hmm. But today, you know, in Barack Obama's America, and you know, nobody's saying that racism is over, but for people to come up and, you know, take on that fight, of, it, it makes them feel really good. But it's not, uh, if people really want to be courageous about something, 
um, there are a lot of injustices in the world um, that people are not speaking up against. And for example, religious injustices, uh, th- that's one of them. So that is a much harder fight to pick. I think. Oh yeah. Nobody the, wants what, to take that on. Right. At the, you know, so the kind of uh, things that, you know, what I, I think that's sort of like a human rights fight of our time right now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a difficult thing that nobody really wants to take on. Our politicians don't want to admit to, they don't want to speak about it. Um, and people talk about it very, very apologetically. Um, I, you know, I read this article in the Atlantic from 1914, and it was this man who had written, and he was he supported the suffrage movement, and he made this long, winding case about why it could be a good idea for women to have the right to vote. That's and interesting. He made and uh, you know, I'll, I'll try to I'll link you to that article. Yeah. But he. Um, he made the art. He was trying to be very sort of conciliatory. He's trying to understand the point of view of people who said that women shouldn't be allowed to vote. Um, you know, he he was just being very, in a sense, diplomatic, right? And uh, I I think that that it was so there were so many parallels to the way that we talk about religion now and religious belief. Mm-hmm. You know, respect the other side. But but when we look back now to the 1920s it's obvious to us Mm -hmm. obviously women should have the right to vote and if you don't think that then you're an outcast you know you're you're pretty much shunned from society um if you don't if you speak up against it so um when we look back at it that's that's how it is it's so it's so obvious and i kind of feel like that's where the whole religion thing will be too but yeah, I, right. I, I mean, the, the moral zeitgeist, I mean, as Dawkins mentioned in The God Delusion, I mean, changes and evolves over time. And yeah. the, I mean, when it comes to religion, I don't think people see, like, I, I mean, as you mentioned, like religion has been kind of mixed up with identity that yes. people do not see. They're not. They're, many people are incapable of seeing themselves outside that identity yeah. or outside that religion. Is that the moment they they do not consider themselves Christian or Muslim? I think it's much harder within the Muslim faith than Christianity. Literally having no meaning of life whatsoever, or have no 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 purpose, and uh, and also leave aside that. I mean. People still believe in supernatural. I mean, the concept of supernatural is still believed. Even when religiosity decreases, you'll see that there is also a rise of the quote-unquote spiritual, not religious, yeah. who still who still want to keep the the religion sort of keep up the 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 traditions or some of that and believe in woo stuff, but not don't want to take the violence. They don't want to take the bigotry or the judgments, but they still believe in the crystals and and GMOs are worse than ISIS and uh, <laughs> all of the uh, like uh, weed cure cancer. Uh, oh my gosh! I all can't of tell the how upsetting that is. Yeah, and it's like they're very common in big cities. Like you walk in Manhattan, yeah, or you walk in Vancouver, or my personal Facebook um, so, feed. So, which hasn't that been the, banned is full of these uh, crystal, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so, so I think that the, the the problem with tackling religion is that the moment you do that is that you are truly the, the way that I think the way that they see it that you are trying to steal something that is very precious to them, like yeah, something it is. that they hold very dearly. 
Anyway, but you know, the thing is this identity thing, you can even see it. I mean, if you want to see evidence of how strongly um, this religious ideology or what I say is Islamic identity is incorporated into Muslim, no, sorry, Islamic ideology is uh, incorporated into Muslim identity. You know, those two things uh, that um, I think should be people can try to pry apart. But uh, the, the, the way that you can see it, you can see it in the ex-Muslim experience and people who leave the religion, who've been with families who were very religious, they go through this period of, you know, where they're very despondent and uh, they, they're they kind of wandering. And, uh, you know, I've, I there's this one party of ex-Muslims I went to, it was an Eid party, and these are people who were estranged from their parents. Uh, many of their parents had disowned them, many of them went out to their parents, and they got together on Eid because, you know, they were, they were kind of on their own. And pretty much every food item was wrapped in bacon, right? And they had made uh, a version of Nihari, which is a Pakistani <laughs> dish with um, some some kind of pork. And I don't know what it was. I, I didn't have it. So wow. It didn't sound very appetizing to me. And uh, there was alcohol everywhere. Uh, the, the, the the girls who'd been, you know, a lot of girls who'd been hijabis um, their entire life, you know, growing up, um, they had gone in the completely opposite direction. I mean, it's not like, like okay, they just took off their hijab. And, and the men, the boys who had been raised to think that girls... But like they were now looking at them and they were being very respectful and they were trying to accommodate and going against this stuff. The idea, I mean, I thought it was really interesting. That itself, the fact that they go through that, and it's called, sociologically, it's called anime, um, A-N-O-M-I-E. That's when, you know, you are, you have an association with a certain moral code or moral compass that, and, you know, when you lose your connection to a certain society, you have to start building that from scratch. And I think people have to start building their identities from scratch. So that is a symptom of how strongly religion is incorporated into the Muslim culture, in, in a sense, or Muslim societies. Mm-hmm. Um, so even, even with the uh, ex-Muslim experience, you can see that. And and you know that just talking to people, when you're asking somebody to leave Islam, you're not just, I mean, if you went to that party, that kind of party, you would see that when you ask people to do that, you're asking them to do a lot. You're not just asking them to change their mind or change their belief. You're asking them to leave their parents, you know, put their childhood memories behind, not be able to visit the city that they grew up in. All of those things that they associated with, uh, with their life because the religion is such, it's so integrated into their identity and their and the, and their childhood and the way they grew up and their family life that, you know, when you ask them to leave the religion on at a, just purely for rational reasons, uh, you're asking them to leave all of that too, to drop it. So it's, so they are defensive about it and it's understandable why they defensive about it and I think we should kind of we should take that into account but that's why I think um, people need space yeah Uh, you gotta give them space to question themselves right some people are really forceful like how can you be a Muslim when Muhammad is a pedophile or whatever like that's not necessarily the right way to approach someone that's always that's already questioning I think actually actually Thing. I mean, I mean, back like Muslim experiences, and, I, and like part of my job is to like interview some of them and like secularists and Muslims from the Arab world. And there's a, there's a case that's very interesting by a girl called Ahmed Harqan. He's like he, he's like a former Salafist. He was a Salafist and now an atheist. And he said, told me something very interesting. He said the people who changed my mind from Salafism, which is obviously the most extreme, to atheism, were not the people who were being respectful. 
it was the person who told me like your life was a complete waste <laughs> your your religion sucks and you suck I don't think it works like that for everyone I, I think I think there is no ultimate Uh, approach. I don't think there is the best solution. Obviously, there is like a solution that probably works with most people or the majority of people. And also, one of the cases, I mean, because I used to like argue about these things all the time. Now, I don't really that much. But uh, like one of the people that I was arguing with about atheism versus Islam, and I was like really trying very hard to deconvert him. And I felt miserably. And I thought I felt miserably. And then about two years afterwards, like I, I hardly remember his name. Like, And I saw, like, he sent me an email and yeah. he said, oh, do you remember the conversation we had? I, even though I was, like, he was so defensive. I remember, like, that he was like, I was so defensive about my religion and I've thought about it for two years and now I'm an atheist. Right. That That's actually a very, very, that had, I can't tell you how many times that's happened with me or with Alishpa. Yeah, me too, my actually. Wife, right? It's it's amazing how that happens. You know, you talk to people and then a few years later, you know, they come up and they, they've had a way to think of it. So then that shows you how important exposure is. Mm -hmm. And that's why I don't really go nuts trying to um, convert anybody. I just kind mm -hmm. of put, put down what I think and here's, you know, what my case is and leave it there. And, and the other thing I, I actually, agree with Faisal there's a lot of different things work on different people um, uh, Alishba for instance my wife um, is she has this the, the first time someone I think I may have told you this before uh, the way that uh, she went through that whole spiritual but not religious phase she was doing that for mm -hmm. a little while mm -hmm. uh, when she was younger And uh, there was this, this guy she met who was super rational and super smart, and he was an atheist, and, and he came from a very conservative religious family. Um, and he was talking to her, and at one point, he just told her, you know, he's like, well, you know, that's just stupid. I mean, she made some argument. He's like, that is just stupid. I don't even know what to say to you. And she got pissed, and she got upset, but then she went back, and according to her, uh, you know, she thought about it. She's like, am I being stupid? And, and that's what did it for her. That, that's what changes. So, and uh, the other example I give is, again, you know, going back to the civil rights movement, is the way that Rosa Parks acted in silence by just sitting um, at the front of the bus, uh, didn't say a word. Um, Martin Luther King was very diplomatic. He was more of a politician. Uh, he was more conciliatory in the way that he made his arguments. And then you had Malcolm X, who was, who was much more aggressive. And uh, he was borderline militant, or probably was militant. So all of these three approaches in combination worked on different kinds of people. Mm -hmm. And I, I, th I think that, that that is what we're seeing. I mean, everybody you talk to, and you ask them, how did, you, how did this happen to you? Um, they'll all tell you different stories, and different people have different ideas about what works and what doesn't. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's that it really depends on. I mean, from what I understood with my like with talking to the guy uh, who was like former. That's another guy who was actually a former extremist. Is that because he was extreme, like because he was like hardcore Sunni Muslim and stuff. Um, he. And because he was so attached to, to like, it's like a magnet, you know? It's like, well, that's religion. He, he actually needs a very strong force to take him away. Yeah. Because, like, while the people who are the, the cute Muslims, the average, are the Confederia Muslims. Um, you I, may, I like you, that. Cute Muslims. Yeah. So, yeah, you may actually, uh, they may uh, like more the, they may find the, 
aggressive approach offensive, but they may find the diplomatic approach better. Or somebody that respects them, like somebody that thinks of them as like intelligent human beings or you actually yeah. try to listen to their arguments. So let's not like there's all this discussion about new atheism versus old atheism versus like whatever the fuck the terms are. Um, like I don't really think that there is... I don't really think that Richard Dawkins' approach or Sam Harris' approach or Ali's approach or uh, is like the only approach. Like this no, is no, but I uh, mean, when they speak of new atheism, they try to demonize anyone that's vocal. I'm not. I'm all for being vocal and expressing yourself. I just think that when someone expresses that they're doubting things already to you, strategically, it makes more sense to kind of warm them into the discussion than just all of a sudden. And I've seen people been so close and then put off, right? And then put up a wall. And maybe two years later, they'll come back and be like, whatever, right? I, I thought about it, sure. I don't know. It just makes more sense to me to do it that way. Yeah. Sure, there are some people that need to be shaken out of it, absolutely. But some on the internet, the place where all the lovely people gather, seem a <laughs> bit a bit too much, you know? Like, it would... Well me off yeah i i um there's it also depends where you are uh yeah. the uh, like the people that i speak to here in north america tend to want to have a more respectable a respectful uh civilized quieter you know conversation of course um, yeah they're not you know the kind where you have to hold back and you know they're not dealing with the uh, everyday bigotry right right yeah the people that i uh, that i've communicated with and i think over the last seven or eight years uh, there are probably thousands now um, who in, in Bangladesh and Saudi Arabia and Egypt and Iran and Pakistan and Malaysia all, all of these places they like the they love Dawkins they, they love do the, no but even further love, than that there are some people that are really supportive of the British far right for example supporting of, of what? of the British far right like I know some Pakistani ex-Muslims that are so frustrated with their family just pressuring them and people following them to their cars and yeah. you know so then they've just gone the other direction where they're like yes help us rid ourselves of our bigots and we'll join the bigots on this side right and yeah, I no, just that don't is think a, that, that that's definitely a, a part of it yeah uh, but but I th I think that the reason I mean well, what's interesting to me is all these guys like Do Dawkins Harris um, all of these people were supposed to be really strident and Islamophobes and you know what they say about them not a single one of them is a Trump supporter in fact no, they all yeah. despise they despise Trump they despise the uh, uh, the right uh, you know the far right that's that's sort of using this whole uh, they, I mean they're not anti-Muslim right like, but Faisal uh, Faisal was mentioning earlier to me that there's a lot of Arab secularists that support Trump right yeah yeah, yeah so a lot of Pakistanis that support Trump yeah so it's funny yeah, how that because works because I, I think the I think we are to some extent uh, in live in these societies. So we live in North America. We are obviously very much strongly influenced by uh, on a domestic level, and also because I mean, as as Holly mentioned, is that when, I mean when you're when you're surrounded by thousands of people who want to kill you for being an atheist, there is a likelihood that you would go more to the 
to the extreme defensive position than to go to the rational approach of supporting Democrats, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's uh, just like the, the reason why they like the aggressive atheists, or I don't use the term aggressive because they're not aggressive at all, but like they use, they like people like Sam Harris and Bill Warren, and then they like people who uh, are tend to be like Chris Tedman, who's like, all religions are beautiful and there are beauty in each religion, and we have to, uh, like, uh, I mean, I mean, I grew up in both of the worlds. I mean, I can yeah, obviously too. understand that this argument is full of shit. And the, but so that's, that's, uh, that dynamic of, of the far right is, is when people, I mean, many ex Muslims or, or Muslims or reformers, uh, I mean, I've noticed that with a guy called Zudi Jasser. And he supports. He's a Muslim, quote unquote, Muslim reformer, and he supports. Uh, he supported Teddy Cruz. Oh wow! And, and I was like, that escalated quickly. Um, <laughs> and also with, and also I know like some of the like Muslims who who support Trump as well. Yeah. yeah. And well, uh, a lot of this is really um, that, so, that one solution or some solution is better than no solution. So what happens is, for instance. Trump comes out and says, oh, you know, we need to uh, have a temporary ban, or, you know, he says we need to ban all Muslims from immigrating here. And everyone is in complete shock. You know, like, this is absolutely ridiculous. shouldn't happen. And, you know, you have Paris, you have Brussels. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, uh, you know, you have uh, all of these different, you have San Bernardino, then you have Orlando, and now you have uh, Istanbul. Yeah. And all these things happen. And suddenly, you know, now people are thinking, well, you know, Trump had a solution for this. I don't know if Nobody it's a solution, does. though. Well, I mean, it, it was a bad solution. It's a terrible solution. We don't even know if it's a solution. Yeah. had an idea mm-hmm. and something actionable. And nobody else has come up with anything. All they say is the same thing. Well, you know, we must stand yeah. against them. So then suddenly, you know, you, you, you realize, okay, there's no exit sign. I need an exit sign. I need a way to get out of this. But... Uh, you know, I don't like that exit sign. That's not the door I want to go out of, but it's the only fucking door that's there. You know, and then everybody sort of gravitates towards it when they become fearful of their security. So I, I think that that's a lot of the dynamic that's happening is because of it. The, the other thing is like there was a Quinnipiac University poll came out today that showed Trump has 33% of Hispanic support. Not what? just Trump. Not just one third of Hispanics, not just Republicans, but all uh, Hispanics in the U.S. Thirty-three percent of them support Trump. That is more than uh, I think Romney had twenty-seven percent support uh, from Hispanics, and uh, McCain had very little as well. Uh, there's two things that are interesting about this. One is there's a lot of Hispanics that actually support the Muslim immigration; they're just as fearful of it, uh, which is kind of interesting that Trump played those two against each other. Um, but the other thing is uh, that uh, I've talked to some Hispanics that uh, do it, and they, and they have the same argument as some of the Muslim people I've talked to who support Trump, is that the Muslim people say, yeah, you know, we should be coming here because they're making us look bad. We're the law-abiding citizens, and then all these people come in, they cause this shit, and then now we look bad. A lot of Hispanics who, who are here legally, who are American citizens, like, we came here legally, we followed the rules, we did all this stuff, and now these guys are crossing the border, and they're going to get all of the stuff that I worked my ass off for many, many years to mm-hmm. get. They're going to get it immediately. 
uh, even though they did it, they didn't follow the rules. So it, it, there are all of these different dynamics and all these aspects that are being played against each other. Um, and I, I, th I think a lot of this has to do with, uh, you know, the, the failure of the left in terms of like, you know, not providing. In, yeah, I can see that it empowers it, but mm -hmm. uh, I don't think it causes it. I think there's an underlying sentiment that exists already. That Yeah, there... I know. I, I mean, but it, it's the same thing. It's like, you know, there's a fire in your house and, and you know, you, you feel like there's a fire out of it and someone opened up a door and that door leads to a field of, uh, this is a crazy analogy, a piece of <laughs> pigsty that just stinks and it's terrible. You're like, there's no fucking way I'm walking out that door. But then the fire starts getting closer to you and closer to you and nobody else is opening any doors. Nobody else is creating an exit. Yeah. You're like, okay, listen, you know what? If that's the door we got to go through, that's I just feel that that door is like a mirage of a door, and you get there, and there's another fire there. So and there is no other option. You're going to take the chance on the mirage because that's the thing that most that looks most like a door. So uh, I don't think everyone sees it that way, right? No, only some people are viewing it as the only option. But that's a significant number of people. It is, and it's scary. Right. Yeah, I mean, to add to Ali's point, sorry to interrupt, but to add to Ali's point, actually, in 2011, actually, in 2013, and I was asking him about who did he vote for, Mitt Romney or Obama? And he's gay, by the way. So he's, he's a gay atheist Jew. I told him, like, you fit in all the requirements for beheading. Um, <laughs> and uh, he said he voted for Mitt Romney because he would rather he, because he thought that Mitt Romney would keep American America safer for gays than Barack Obama would yeah so so, so and, and this guy is very rational Yale graduates he writes for foreign policy uh, magazine and so on so yes I, I mean I, I totally agree with Ali's point that when when the the left fails to to open a door then people gonna just take whatever whatever is there, and, well, and yeah, obviously that's the problem. The left I mean, is failing. Yeah, so, so 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 I don't think like many of the people that are voting for Trump are uh, racist, or they're probably. I mean, obviously, I mean, there's a correlation between the rise of terrorist attacks and the rise of far right. At the end of the day, you will see many people preferring security over anything else, whether that's rational or not. I think it's mostly irrational. I mean, if you look at Benjamin Netanyahu in Israel mm -hmm. and you see his popularity with terrorist attacks happening in Israel, you will see that he was very unpopular for a very long period of time. And then a terrorist attack happened. And then he was the guy who said, uh, you know what, guys, no peace with the Palestinians, all of these things. Mm -hmm. He immediately got popular afterwards. And the politicians able to use the rhetoric to be able to appeal to the fears of the people that the average folks uh, uh, immediately get in touch with. I mean, the majority of Americans do not even care about politics or don't even know about anything. But when you tell them that somebody is trying to get you, they will immediately go with the, whoever is offering them the answer right. that they think, uh, I mean, so what's the solution? Americans don't even, yeah, so like, he, he can't the give them a solution. 
Well, well, the, the solution is that we need to build a wall. No, just kidding. Great um, solution. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think... I'd like to build a wall between myself and Trump. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the United States, I mean, with, with President Obama, he needs to be honest about his policies. I mean, there's all this discussion about the terminology... Huh? Do you think that's likely? I don't think that's likely. No, well, well, hopefully Hillary is going to be the person who's going to do that. I mean, I, I mean, Obama already have few months left mm -hmm. in office, uh, so Hillary must be. And actually, now during the presidential campaign, she should be the person who literally owns that subject in the most honest way. And for her, because she have said multiple times that women's rights are human rights and so on, she also needs to be honest about women's rights in the Muslim world and, and, and try to say that it's America's job to stand with the people who support the human rights and, and the values that we share and should not start playing with words like radical jihadism. <laughs> like, what is radical who are, who are the oh, moderate like that, yeah. who are the moderate jihadists? I mean, who are they? Yeah. I mean, other than, I think Bernie Sanders supporters. I think that's what she was talking about. Uh, is that so, so, I mean, that's obviously she's literally trying. I, mean, I, I see it. I mean, I, I really see that she's changing because obviously she's using terms that are closer to Islam, like jihadism or Islamism and so on, uh, other than like calling it CVE, which is the term that Obama administration invented, which is counter-violent extremism. So they're not against extremism. They're all against the violent part of it. And uh, so... Well, in in I medicine, think that CVE is a cardiovascular event. Uh, so that you can, <laughs> anytime you're clot, uh, Different experiences. Like, um, but I don't know how likely that is that she's going to move from radical jihadism to anything else. No, no, I was saying that I, I think it's a, uh, uh, for the U.S. Uh, presidents, it's something that they have to balance. I mean, as, as politicians, here's where I think Obama is with this. I mean, it's really interesting. There's a, there, in the most recent interview he did with Jeffrey Goldberg, I don't know if you read it, if you haven't, it's excellent. I have, yes, it's good. So Jeffrey Goldberg was actually, he told him privately, and he privately talks to other leaders, and he has actually said, um, Obama, and this is in the article, that he tells people that Islam, there's no solution to terrorism until Islam undergoes a reformation like Christianity did. And that's, ex that's exactly what he said. And then he also talked about how uh, the more women in Indonesia starting to wear the hijab, which indicates that uh, Indonesia is adopting a more fundamentalist, unforgiving version, interpretation of Islam. So he actually called, use the words fundamentalist and unforgiving, the interpretation that causes... Wow, with, uh, in hijab. association with uh, hijab, that's hijab. So he, he actually said, uh, and he said the Muslim community has to do more. He did, he's, and you know, in the State of the Union, he, remember when he said that uh, the Middle East, you know, we're not going to get involved in this because, you know, there's, they've, they have all these conflicts that, have, that date back millennia. And a lot of people were pissed off at him, including Jews and Muslims, because they're like, oh, no, there's a recent thing. Why are you saying date back millennia? Because they don't want to. He essentially said that it's a religious conflict mm -hmm. by saying it dates back millennia. So do you he, think he, Obama's like an in the closet atheist? I wrote, listen, I wrote this thing in 2009. You should, if you read Dreams from My Father, read that first book. Um, he talks about how his mother raised him. His mother was a secular agnostic. His dad was basically like us, was raised Muslim and became an atheist. 
So he's an atheist. Uh, Barack Hussein Obama Sr. was an atheist, yeah, who, who, was, who came from a Muslim uh, family. So he was Muslim, but he became an atheist by the time he came to the U.S. So he is... Um, so, so he has that kind of background. Um, I obviously, if you're a politician, you know you in the U.S. You just can't say it. You can't say it. And if you're a community organizer, um, especially in the black community, you know they, a lot of that uh, sort of community and people coming together um, happens in churches. Uh, yeah. So that's that, there's a big social element. So, so the directions, the, the the details of that, and the reasons why this stuff happens is very complex, and that's it's a different com- different country. The point I wanted to make is I think I think Obama knows this. I just don't think he could say it. And I think that he has this choice. He's like, I think he's kind of given up on the outside world. Like, you know, those guys, are whether we bomb them or whether we cut and run or whether we don't get involved or whatever, you know, we get shit on. Yeah, do if you do, don't if you don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm going to just concern, concern myself with the Muslims in the U.S., the American Muslims, and I want to make sure that they're happy and they're well integrated. And uh, the rest of it, the outside world, I'm not going to bother with as long as the only thing we're going to do is we're going to prevent them from coming to us and uh, impacting us. So I I think that's sort of his thing. And he's going to let the Majid Nawazes and the other sort of, uh, you know, people like Faisal, people like me or you, you know, we're having this dialogue. And, you know, that dialogue keeps on happening. I think that that'll keep on doing its job. There's an internal conversation happening within the Muslim community in the U.S. We're very far from the Salman Rushdie days, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Salman Rushdie walks around, apparently, from what I've heard, freely in New York City. Um, you yeah, know, but then we had Charlie Hebdo, and I mean... We did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, in, the, in the U.S., it's, it is actually... It's very different than it is in Europe, mm-hmm. which is why a lot of these people are in the U.S. now. So, so there's a, um, I, I think that he has that realization. I don't think he realizes that you know the uh, that just taking care of stuff outside to make sure it doesn't impact the U.S. You can't keep ideas out. Um, of borders, you can't use borders to yeah. keep out as you can, and Trump doesn't get this either. You can't use walls. I get it. I agree. This is Absolutely. an ideological battle. You have to fight the ideas. I think you have to fight terrorism and Islamic terrorism is a symptom. Um, the Christian the, the terrorism, like from hundreds of years ago, was a symptom. The the disease, the underlying cancer, is faith. It's the idea. Every time someone says oh, someone became extremist or became radicalized, like they didn't become extremist or radicalized, they just became more faithful. They became more pious, mm-hmm. um, and they started, you know, believing what they were to believe, um, just with more passion. And that's uh, really what happened. Well, that's a troubling yeah. indicator for um, for religion, for, right? The, the stronger you believe in it, the worse. The worse it gets. Yeah, yeah. But just to add a great quote about that too. You know, he said yeah. that uh, if uh, people were at the festival, I'll let you say it. You know, no, no, you say it. You say it. Yeah, he's, it's better with a Canadian accent. <laughs> He said he said something along the lines of Islam was really a religion of peace, and the fundamentals of it would be much much more. The, its extremists would be uh, extremely peaceful. It was something along those lines. Yeah, I said like if Islam is a religion of peace, then the most extreme extremists would be the most peaceful. Yes, right. So, uh, um, but but just a bit on the Obama issue. I mean, maybe he actually like believes it or say it, but I think his policies were not very much people like us. I think that 
I mean, the people that he hired to be his advisors oh, on yeah. Islamic yeah. extremism and were are the complete opposites. Like they are the the, the people who want to who are uh, like want to obstruct the conversation, want to even who attack Majid Noah. So imagine like. So they're they're having all this funding from the State Department and the White and House, like Dalia Mujahid. Yeah, I, I mean that's one of one of many that that entered that counter extremism, the CVE, this counter violent extremism sphere. Most of the people that President Obama hired are the most apologists of Islam. Like they deny. I mean, as you're familiar with Dalia, like she shows up on the Daily Show and says that hijab is about empowerment. Yeah, and that, that is a per, that's a person that is uh, that has. So I, I think that like President Obama. I mean, I don't really get that much stuck in the terminology about versus Islamic versus uh, whatever. But in terms of policies, I don't think that Obama administration for the past eight years have been on the side of secular liberal Muslims. I mean, that's my own no, point. I, I think I think that's a, that's that that is true, and I think that's you know one of the things I was saying is that you know he is a politician, so he looks at he's like you know who are the people who are most popular among mm-hmm. the American Muslims, and American Muslims love you know Dalia Magahid and they love uh, Reza Aslan and uh, people like that. So. So he's like, okay, this is this is a thing that's popular. But as as time goes on, and I think that if if people like Majid and us are going to, and this is another good topic, to, uh, that you know, it's a it's an interesting topic. That does what place does reform have? I mean, do we go through the whole reform thing, or do we go straight to promoting? Um, uh, you know, but just not being Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I think we could go on that. about that for its own its own couple of hours. Right. Yeah. So I, but, I think but, that he um, he will go with what is more what most American Muslims will go because his his priority as a politician is to keep the American Muslims happy to make sure that you know that, so they know that you know he's on their side and you know he's taking their preferences into account. So I I I think that uh, that is where our role comes in. That if we start bringing up um, you know the, the narrative of people like Majid or people like Asra um, or or us even or, or the ex-Muslim narrative. Narrative or, or you know, the, the the secularist narrative. If that starts coming up within the Muslim community, and if if it gains in number and if it gains in influence, um, then he will start supporting that too. Whoever, whatever the politician is, will start supporting that as well. But right now, unfortunately, Dalia Magahid is very popular mm-hmm. among American Muslims. Okay, a okay. little bit of a shift in topic before we go. One last Ramadan-related question. All right. Um, since you're uh, in the medical field, maybe you can provide more insight on this. One thing that has always um, made me, uh, I guess, confused or curious is if surgeons around the world are permitted to fast. Mm-hmm while they're performing performing surgery and if they should be permitted and because I this was all triggered when I saw a picture back in the days when Ina was allowed on Facebook and someone shared a photo of like how wonderful a Pakistani doctor is that he's been starving all day and he's doing this surgery and his nurses are like giving him like a glass of water and I'm like that's not that's not noble that's horrific because yeah. I don't want to be under his knife if if he's starving and dehydrated and 
I mean, what the fuck? He's risking other people's lives. Yeah, I, I think the answer to that is science and research is, it's easily solves that. You do a study of people who are fasting and doing surgery and do a study of people who don't fast and um, surgeons who are of relative, like, you know, more or less equal competency um, and doing more or less, you know, similar procedures. And you uh, take a look at the results, patient outcomes. I think that's the best way to really look at it. But it's, nobody's it's, even cared to, to look into this before. I know, and I think they should. Uh, they, I agree with you. I, I would be surprised if there wasn't, um, uh, you know, some sort of compromise in, in the performance of the surgeons who are, who are fasting and who are starving themselves. So uh, I, I, that's something that we dealt with. I mean, I went to medical school in Pakistan, and uh, over there, people, surgeons did fast while they were performing surgery. And it's something that used to happen. And uh, I used, to, I would not want to be under the, on the surgeon's table. Right. People say that fasting is good for you, and that's one of the myths I heard. And it's partially true in the sense that if you do restrict your calories, you know that has been associated with longer lifespan. It has been associated with lower cholesterol, and it has health benefits. Uh, calorie restriction. I mean, this has been shown in in animals. It's been shown in humans. But that kind of fa that fasting is different. Mm -hmm. Fasting isn't. First of all, it doesn't mean don't drink water. Right. Uh, one of the most dangerous things that people do that's incredibly unhealthy is they don't drink water. I think it's fine to fast during the day if you're not taking in food and if you're not, um, you know, pigging out at at you know one time of the day yeah. and nuts with it. Um, but. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but the iftar, iftar meal ruins everything. It I mean, the iftar meal. You to pig out, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the iftar meal is filled with calories. So, like, even if you are not eating calories during the morning, you yeah. have calories, and then you have this big biryani, uh. and 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 then with like all of these other stuff. Uh, I don't think it's healthy because plus after that like uh, uh, probably it's the same countries like Pakistan like in the Arab world the Ramadan season when there's like many people start watching TV because there are so many new episodes and, and like that, new films and, yeah well, those are my memories of Ramadan that's why yeah so, hey. so like people sit down and eat and watch TV and sleep and like big chunk of food has not even been used it's like they don't even exercise and stuff like Generally, like Ramadan, make people fatter. Yeah. yeah. You know, if you've been starving, your uh, your your body hasn't been getting anything. Then the moment it gets a whole bunch of food, it's storm as fat. Yeah. Yeah. And so, what do you think, Faisal? Do you think that if uh, people try to tell Muslim surgeons not to fast um, during Ramadan if they're performing surgery, do you think that would be there would be screams of Islamophobia? <laughs> I guess so. I mean. Um, the, the, the thing is, I mean, I mean, I mean, they are the ones who should know about these things. I mean, they don't need somebody to tell them that it's bad. I think that some a law like that would happen if these surgeons start doing bad surgeries and like ten people die, and then like because uh, that's generally how how these laws get passed. It's like, right, it takes some really bad like, things. To America only talks about gun control when there's like a mass shooting. Mm -hmm. Like on normal days, nobody talks about gun control. So. I think if something like that happens in which, like, there's a case of 10 people, 15 people dying as a result of bad uh, behavior from the 
that can't be prevented, obviously, uh, then I think probably something like that would happen. I think I think there should be a study. I mean, yeah. there's been I'm pretty sure there've been enough surgeons fasting uh, in uh, America uh, for if that was going to happen, if something terrible was going to happen, it would have already happened at some point. But I think there should be a study looking at just medical errors, and even if you have a little bit, uh, there should be some sort of restriction on it. And yeah, they'll call it Islamophobic. Because, yeah, but hey, look at the, uh, the the circumcision thing. I mean, in Germany, there was a there was a proposal to ban circumcision, rightly so, because mm-hmm. it is you're, you're irreversibly mutilating the genitals of a perfectly healthy newborn child without any surgical indication. Um, I mean, even for a tonsillectomy, you have to have a certain number of episodes of tonsillitis that happen within a certain period of time um, for to justify it. Right. To, to allow that's a surgical indication for it, but this is the only ever done anywhere uh, where there is no surgical indication for it. It's just done sort of um, on babies routinely, and this is it's clearly it's child abuse. Yeah, and Agreed. the uh, but you know people who oppose it, everyone's like you're anti-Semitic, yeah. and. There is a, there are a lot of very influential uh, Jewish doctors and Muslim doctors in the American Association of Pediatrics and a lot of these pediatric boards, mainly the American Association of Pediatrics, that, that will just, you know, they, they will oppose it. Religious doctors just boggle my mind. Yeah, and a lot of them are just cultural. I mean, there's not a lot of Jewish doctors, or many of them aren't even religious. They just have this cultural tradition that, yeah. um, that we need to, because, you know, there's that element of anti-Semitism. Another example of how ideology and identity are so intimately interlinked. Um, so, you know, this, this kind of thing happens. People will always say you're being bigoted against. I, I just find it interesting that uh, the, the, just the idea of being bigoted against uh, religious ideology when religious ideology itself is it's bigoted probably towards everyone. The, uh, the most respectable form of bigotry that exists. Today. <laughs> That's so uh, true. Yeah, I mean, I've always, like, when, when it comes to bigotry, I mean, I've never thought that you can be a bigot against an ideology. I mean, yeah, bigotry has always been against, like, people or right. group of people. I mean, if an ideology cannot uh, modernize or uh, or uh, cannot be upheld to, like, logic and reason, then it should not be upheld at all. Like, should not... Uh, we can be critical of the ideas as much as we want to without... Because bigotry is somebody cannot be bigoted against Islam. Islam is yeah. the, the same way cannot be bigoted against capitalism, right. or socialism, or or uh, like you modernism. can't be immunophobe. Yeah, I exactly. You're the prejudice against communism. Like there's no such thing. Yeah, but, but but that's why that's why like all this mix between like that's why I think the term Islamophobia has been very dangerous because mm-hmm. it mixed up. I mean. Oxford Dictionary, I think. It says, criticism of Islam and Muslims. That's terrible. So, like, the the definition, the Oxford Dictionary itself has defined Islam and Muslims both under the umbrella of Islamophobia. Well, then, as an ex-Muslim, then my entire existence is... Islamophobic. Well, there you go. Yeah. You know, whenever I tell people, I'm like, well, Islam's the idea. Muslims are people. Muslims have the right to believe what they want to believe and they shouldn't be discriminated against. At the same time, we should criticize Islam. Like, well, that's a contradiction. Right. It's not really a contradiction because that's, you know, that quote that's attributed to Voltaire, but it wasn't really Voltaire who said. 
<laughs> it was Volt. Yeah, it was Fessel Bagnadi. <laughs> the, uh, and the, and the, you know that I would um, I may despise what you um, believe, but I will defend. Or I may despise what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say mm-hmm. it. Uh, it is exactly the same concept. There is. Yeah. I mean, you have to. It is very, very important now to criticize Islam and faith and, and religion in general. And it's also very, very important to protect the rights of um, everyone, including Muslims, to be able to believe what they want to believe in. Right. Um, and it's amazing how many different groups don't see that difference. Like, yeah. uh, you see that in uh, Muslim apologists who conflate the two, Islam and Muslim. Then you see that in anti Muslim bigots who conflate the two as well. I did an interview with uh, CBC and Richard Dawkins tweeted it and he wrote something like, oh, a critic of Islam who loathes anti-Muslim bigots. I like that term yeah, and that I wish so- I wish yeah. more people understood the distinction. And he got so many mentions underneath that. Would you like criticize Nazism but not Nazis? Like people just don't get it. Like I know he is uh, what he's doing. What Richard Dawkins is doing, and I know that Sam does this too. Sam Harris does this too. Um, I know that uh, 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 you know AC Grayling is another person. I know Lawrence Krauss. Like all of these people, mm-hmm. they do it for for them. This distinction is obvious. Yeah, you know the, yeah. the idea that the, the difference between criticizing an idea and uh, demonizing people, mm-hmm. like that distinction, is very obvious to them. But yeah, uh, yeah. And, so, and to be honest, like it's, it's applied for everything else except Islam. I mean, right. everybody knows that you like Bill Maher, for example. He criticizes the Republican Party all the fucking time, mm-hmm. and nobody would that he he is hateful against everybody who's Republican. Or oh, I've seen it though. I've like even it. now with our conversation, I can assure you that nobody would think that we are Republicans phobes or or Democrats phobes <laughs> because we criticize some of the parts of the platform of the party. Is that it seems to me that there's only I think Judaism has been like when it comes to anti-Semitism, the subject also has been mixed up with Israel. So like yeah. sometimes like if you criticize the settlements in the West Bank and you start getting kind of considered an anti-Semite. Mm-hmm. Or, so, like, the actions of Israel, opposing the actions of Israel has been also mixed up with hating Jews or mm-hmm. denying... Uh, so, like, it's, I think it seems to me that only Islamophobia and anti-Semitism are the only two things that many people are unable to differentiate between the ideas and people, or in, in the case of Israel, it's the states. And well, what's interesting is that most of the people, like criticizing Israel doesn't mean I'm anti-Semitic. Most of those people are the ones who scream Islamophobia the most. Like, there are exactly. A lot of the Muslims around the world, you know, yeah. like, yeah, we're against Israel, but we're not against Judaism. Um, you know, but they, they're the ones when it comes to anybody criticizes Islam, I'm like, okay, well, you're Islam, you're against all Muslims. Right, right. right. So there's a, uh, and, and that's that's the whole idea of, that's a, that's a tribal thing in play, you know, where everybody can, they can only really see things from their own vantage point. And th- this is why I think loyalty, you know, when people ask, uh, what is the most overrated virtue, um, apart from faith, which is obviously an incredibly overrated virtue because it's not a virtue. Um, uh, the other one I think is loyalty, just loyalty to, I mean, it's one thing to be loyal to the people that you care about, loyal to your family, loyal to your friends, but 
um, this sort of unwavering loyalty that just disturbs me. Anytime I see somebody who's, you know, just completely, they define themselves like, okay, I'm a Democrat, I'm a conservative, I'm a liberal, and I, I, it bothers, I, I just start thinking, I'm like, well, you're not a thinking person. I mean, Noam Chomsky, anytime there's a world event, and, uh, you know, everybody's, I, I think, I'm like, okay, well, what's Noam Chomsky going to think about this? I can tell you exactly what he's going to think to the letter before he even says anything, because he's just one of those sort of textbook liberals who applies the same uh, ideology to everything, uh, because he's got a lot of ideological loyalty, and there's a lot of things I love about him, and uh, I've always liked about him, I still respect him a lot, even, but there are just many things he just just doesn't do on a case-by-case, context-by-context basis. And, um, and to me, that's a sign, just a sign that people aren't thinking or they're only looking at things from one point of view. And the same can be applied, like, kind of the opposite of that is Papa Lagiller. Like, mm-hmm. whenever there is an attack happening, it's like, the Muslims, Obama's trying to take our guns. <laughs> yeah, no. Like, it's always, it's like a... And with Alex Jones, he's a conspiracy theorist. Um, it's like... It's a false flag. flag. Obama's Sorry, trying to there's take a guns. there's a major echo going on right now. Did someone change their settings on like? Hello. Did no, you I put can't. it on speaker or like? No, no, no. Can no, you no. hear me? I can't even hear the echo. Oh, okay. Go on. Sorry. Yeah, I, I think you're being autophobe. But um, opposites of like the far right, they always try to find one simple reason for everything. Like whenever there is a shooting in America, it's a false flag or Obama is trying to take our guns. And with yeah. Noam Chomsky, it's the same, it's the same five, ten, command, ten commandments for why the terrorist attack happened. It's really dangerous that people become uh, tribal about the ideology or become uh, loyal to the ideology, not loyal to facts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think it's, I think it's very dangerous that because I, I mean, all of these ideologies like liberalism, conservatism, free market capitalism, socialism, etc., uh, were built within certain conditions, and these conditions may change. And sometimes the ideology needs to modernize or needs to adopt a, a, a new model. Well, it has changed. Like if you if you look at the. Uh like now, I mean, when I when I was growing up in the '80s and '90s, you know, they talked about how corporations were evil and the you know weak and so on. Um, but now, when you look at corporations like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Google, like all of these are these are major U.S. corporations. Oh, but Facebook that, is evil, right? But what? but here's the thing, Facebook. <laughs> but here's the thing. The, the revolution that happened in Egypt where people were empowered yeah. down Mubarak that happened via Facebook the, the 2009 green revolution that happened in Iran happened everybody was tweeting about it yeah. the reason we know what happens in Gaza which we never saw before the internet uh, we only saw one side of it is because of YouTube so now you have you have Uber that is actually bypassing all of these uh, the taxi companies and it's empowering the, uh, the, the average person to be able to make money Airbnb is doing the same thing. So now that it's really interesting that the corporate interests and the interests of 
is uh, aligned and, and it is actually profitable for corporations to enable social change, which is really unprecedented. That's a very, very different development. I mean, what we thought was an Orwellian nightmare with Facebook having the information of a billion people, the private information making it available to advertisers. For Wael Ghanim, who triggered the Egyptian revolution, for him, it was a, an instrument of revolution. I mean, it is that, so, but it is also part Orwellian nightmare with the way that it, is, it yeah. gets into your person. It's actively hostile to to privacy. No, that, that's true. It forces true, you to download its messenger app, and it's just, it's, it's but, awful. But we do it. Everybody still does it. And that's the, the idea is they, they, know, they know about that. I mean, but the lines are just a lot more blurred than the, the sort of the Chomsky's uh, and, and yeah. Goodman's used to talk about and they still talk about now it's just not like that anymore yeah no, it's uh, there. there's a lot of haziness there and there's a lot of overlap that wasn't there before yeah, yeah. yeah um, we need a wall we need a wall corporations <laughs> and us Faisal <laughs> thank you for that very sensible solution well you know what they say Donald Trump wants to keep out Mexican rapists so in that way he's pro-woman Right, that's another narrative that you Good hear. Good Lord. Okay. I have heard it. I you think uh, it. <laughs> we should we should end it here now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On that note. It's way past my bedtime. Oh. But yeah. um okay. Yeah. That's a, it's a great conversation. I'm, I'm glad we were able to, we were able to have it. Yeah, thank <laughs> you guys so much for both taking out the time and speaking to me and I think we had a really wonderful conversation. You guys are full of uh, awesome things to say. Yeah, some of us are good people. Some so, of you guys are okay. Some Arabs are good people. Some Arabs are acceptable, <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag not all Arabs. Hashtag right. not all jihadists. I know. <laughs> Moderate jihadists. Right, that's right. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> no, it's been a pleasure as always, guys. Hopefully, we'll do another one of these. Inshallah. Okay. Inshallah. Okay, take so, care. You too. Have a good Happy day. Happy Ramadan. <laughs> Ramadan. Allah Hafiz. <laughs> I know. Khuda Hafiz. Take care. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to another episode of Polite Conversations. You can support this podcast by sharing the shit out of it, making some noise about it, or contributing via Patreon patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes no ian mangoes also you can follow me on twitter at nice mangoes if you want to make a one-time donation instead of a monthly patreon one you can do so via paypal nicemangoes.blog at gmail.com remember no ian mangoes if you've got an interesting story and would potentially like to be a guest you can email me there too a special thanks to dylan beck for theme music, sound, and production help. 